Tech Central. This is Tech Radio. All things computers, gadgets and web happening right now in Ireland. Hear us anytime on iTunes or download from techcentral.ie. Hello there and welcome to Tech Radio, the number one Irish tech podcast with you every Friday morning on your favourite podcasting app or of course you can catch up with us on Friday evenings with RTE Radio. Our show this week is kindly brought to you by InterSystems and we'll be talking about how data science can change medicine for the better. My name is Dusty Rhodes. This is show number 917. I'm joined as always by our editor-in-chief, Niall Kitson, to look at the big stories of the week. Uh, And I suppose the Tech Excellence Awards have been released. The nominees are here. Yeah, nominees are out. uh, 25th of May at the Royal Marine Hotel uh, in Dublin. Uh, And if you want the list of uh, shortlist entries, you can go to techawards.techcentral.ie. Now, let's get on to uh, the darling news story of the last couple of weeks, actually. That's Twitter and Elon Musk. And he's going to buy it and then it's just going to close because nobody's going to use Twitter anymore. Well, yeah, of course. You know, we, we, we've we had the, I don't want to say the usual suspects, but uh, a, a certain fringe of Twitter users have said, that's it. I'm out. I've, I want nothing to do with putting money in these in this guy's pockets. Elon Musk is a, uh, somebody I don't really want to support. I'm out of here. Uh, so that's fine. Um, yep, that's probably a good thing for your mental health if you feel that strongly about it. Uh, and now it looks like there could be an internal exodus as well because uh, people feel possibly the same way. And it's a pretty good time to be a software developer. If you don't want to put up with your boss's nonsense, you can just go somewhere else and be extremely well paid over there. So yeah, if you as a, a, an executive or, well, particularly a developer decide, yeah, I want nothing to do with this guy, peace out, uh, you can do that. Now, the only problem is uh, stock options uh, that a lot of people have in Twitter, which would make up a big part of, um, well, maybe in a big part, but certainly a substantial part of their remuneration package. Um, so value on shares would be... Um, kind of important, I guess, Mm. for people to stick around for and see how they mature. But they won't have the shares. This is my understanding of how it will work if it becomes a private company. Elon Musk, in theory, owns everything uh, and Mm -hmm. he will buy all the shares from the employees and all the people and then the members of the public and he'll pay out the $54 or whatever it was he said. Yeah, $54.20. That's that's pretty much been been set. Mm. Uh, So I guess you're right, yeah. Uh, A good Good time to get up and walk. Uh, but mm. I suppose if all the developers go, you can forget about your edit button anytime soon. Why do you say <laughs> that? Oh, because if all the developers walk out, there'll be nobody yeah. to do it. <laughs> there'll be nobody to do it. <laughs> I think That's this it. is all just scaremongering and it's the board from Twitter and they're just going, OK, look, this is what we have been offered because it still has to go to shareholder vote and it still mm. has to be approved by the shareholders. And they're going, OK, so this is what he's offered and this is what could happen. But it's yeah. like the great resignation that everybody said after COVID, like, you know, kind of, well, if I can't work remotely, I'm not going to work at all. And it hasn't really happened, has it? Well, I think it has to a certain What What is interesting is the great return because yes, we did have the great resignation, but people have found that, you know what, there is actually benefit to the office environment. Uh, I know that, you know, for me, uh, I work remotely now 90% of the time, but I actually do value the time that I go into the office. Um, Even if there's nobody there, it's very much just 
get out of the apartment, do something. Exactly. Uh, oh, that, look, there's people on the bus. <laughs> that yeah, kind of exactly. thing. Yeah yeah, 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 yeah. And they're not wearing masks. Very bold. Uh, <laughs> look after your fellow human. Just wear a mask. It's not a big deal. Also, uh, with uh, Twitter, uh, Elon has been making moves uh, as well as with the other butter button. He's saying he'll ask certain people to pay a small amount to tweet. <laughs> I mean, do you think this is going to work? Well, it depends who you ask. Um, I mean, his argument is some revenue is better than none. Well, which pretty much shows that maybe he hasn't thought this through. Um, no, ah, ah, I would beg to differ with you there. I think he okay. absolutely has thought it through. And there is a reason that he wants Twitter. Now, okay. the edit button and paying to tweet and all of that kind of stuff could be a complete aside, but there is definitely a reason he wants Twitter. And I don't believe it's because he wants to make it more inclusive. But anyway. We'll, Do you think it's to stroke his ego? I don't think so, because you don't, when you're in a person of that position, you don't need to buy social media. And anyway, who wants to go to social media to stroke your t- your ego. The, the exact well, opposite is what happens. When you're the world's richest man, you've got plenty of people to do it. I suppose. Anyhow, uh, speaking of the great return and uh, the great resignation and all that kind of stuff, one of the things that has come up in the news this week is people who have been working at home and you've been given a laptop by your company. It's great and you do all your work and you call your own time and it's brilliant, except maybe you are being watched and you didn't know. Yeah, here's here's an interesting thing, right? Now, an awful lot of employers were forced into supporting remote work. And in my mind, I mean, you can't change somebody's mindset overnight. If somebody is used to micromanaging you and, you know, you go home and you're not within their line of sight, there's that little nugget in the back of their head just wondering, are you doing exactly what you've been told to do? And how do, how do I know you haven't? How do I know you're not goofing off? How do I know you're performing to the best of your ability? All these questions sort of circle around in the mind of bad managers. And uh, increasingly in the States, we are discovering that companies are using what is being referred to as bossware, effectively spyware. And what they're doing is they're looking at the productivity of their employees. They've quantified what they consider productivity. Uh, and they're catching up with, with people in meetings to say, do you know what, you're maybe not doing as well as you should. Maybe we've got to put you on some kind of performance improvement plan, um, which is bonkers because it very much depends on the kind of work you do. Mm. If, you're a, if your job is inputting data all day um, and you're uh, an unscrupulous manager who has surreptitiously installed this software on somebody's laptop, and you notice that between the hours of two and four every day, nothing gets done. Well, yeah, okay. But if you're somebody like yourself, myself, whose job requires either an awful lot of meetings, an awful lot of time on site, a lot of time just with a notebook coming up with ideas, um, that sort of uh, monitoring is completely inappropriate. Um, and just, you know, it would give you a completely false impression of how hard you are working. So this is a problem that uh, companies are increasingly coming up against, especially at the time of the great resignation and great return, where you can see how you know, companies have been acting during the, the, I don't want to call it a layoff, but you know, while people were being uh, forced to work from home, 
what what exactly is the kind of information people are gathering? Is it you know your social media data? Are you are they using keyloggers? Um, any of this sort of stuff. So this is out there. Uh, companies are developing things like productivity scores to go, okay, yep, this person's doing this, this person's doing this. Nice. Yeah, I can see a nice consistent flow of information happening during the day. That person is clearly doing very well. Um, then you've got other people uh, whose job can't be quantified that way, but maybe are still being held to the same standard. It's all part of a changing world, methinks. And I think the question that you raise there is the most interesting one is if they're monitoring your work, that's fine in some ways because you would expect it. But what else are they monitoring? And that's the grey area that I think people need to be uh, oh, careful of. Here's another here's another interesting point. Go on. If a manager is spending more time monitoring their staff than they would have or- otherwise are they becoming less effective at their job? Do they require a, a, a standard or a score? We're going down a rabbit hole and we're going to stop right now and move right on to Apple. Okay, they have been talking about Apple. Uh, well, actually, I am going to come out in Apple's defence in this story, okay? So Ooh. they're facing EU scrutiny. Tell me why. Okay, uh, this is our first story related to the Digital Services Act, although it's it's not mentioned in the specific story that, uh, that I mentioned, but uh, everything is in there about it. Um, basically, the European Commission is accusing Apple of abusing its market conditioning by not opening up Apple Pay, right, to, to let other people develop uh, similar services that you can uh, put on your phone. Apple are saying, well, do you know what, we're not doing that because Apple Pay is a really good product and it's secure and it's part of our phone. Um, If you want to do something else and have it work within Apple Pay, that's fine. But, uh, you know, ultimately we got to set the standards for privacy and security and this is what people buy into our products for. So, you know, if you're going, again, the fine print, if you're going to play in this space, you got to do it by our rules. If you want to have a fintech product that enables uh, contactless payments, that's great but it still has to sit within Apple Pay. And I would say that for Apple and everything they say, I absolutely agree with it, okay? Because, you know, it's a walled garden and they have it set up. The only thing is, is that I think if Apple are going to have a walled garden, it should be a complete walled garden, okay? So it should be just Apple Pay used by Apple products and by nobody else. However, if Apple are going to allow other people to use Apple Pay, but at a disadvantage to Apple's own version of it, well, then that obviously is not fair. So the only thing I will come down on this is to say to Apple is either be a walled garden or don't. You can't be sometimes this and sometimes that. Well, the European Commission is saying you can't, whether you want to or not, you can't. Because under the Digital Services Act, uh, you've got to open up all your platforms. All your platforms have to be opened. Your black boxes have to be opened so people can see how they work and maybe how they can innovate within them, right? So if you see how Apple Pay works, you might go, oh yeah, but it doesn't do this. Let's set up a company that does this for Apple Pay. Uh, or an app. But if Apple wants to protect their, their ideas and everything, that I, I agree with that they should be able to do that. But mm-hmm. it means that Apple will just be within themselves. And mm-hmm. they won't be able to uh, connect with the rest of the world, which they need to. So it's it's a question of how big the wall should be. 
on the walled garden, I think. Anyway, we'll watch okay. that as it uh, as it goes along. If it comes down on the EU side of things, uh, they could find them up to 10% of their global turnover on this one issue alone, which is like 36 billion. But uh, that's uh, another story. Listen, now that is it for the news stories for this week. Do remember you can get the lowdown on all things tech in Ireland with hourly updates, daily newsletters and more at our website, techcentral.ie. This is Tech Central, your weekly tech podcast from Ireland's techcentral.ie. It could be said that when it comes to healthcare, there are oceans of data, but only puddles of clinical meaning. John Kelly is Regional Sales Manager at Intersystems, and he had a chat with Niall Kitson about how data can change healthcare as we know it, but only if we learn to unlock its value. John, your area of interest is uh, medical data. Um, So it makes me wonder, what are the particular challenges that you find when dealing with information that is, um, you know, created by people in a clinical environment with its own sort of quirks of, you know, the available attention, even down to the honesty of the patient that you're dealing with. What kind of problems have you found with medical data as distinct from other forms of information? Yeah, Niall, that's a a really good question. Um, Data at the end of the day is the lifeblood of healthcare. If doctors don't have accurate, reliable data, They can't make accurate, reliable decisions on how to treat patients. And we know our population is growing, so we need data to be able to plan for the future needs of the population. But the big problem we have is that healthcare data is stored in multiple systems, it's multiple silos, it's in a variety of formats, it's in many different standards. So bringing the data together, making sense of it, using it to drive action really is um, a big challenge. Um, Incomplete, inconsistent data is ubiquitous. And we actually did a survey last year which found that only 20% of healthcare organisations actually trust the data they have and they're relying on to make really important decisions. That's an absolutely fascinating figure. So why do you think that that's the case? Is it, you know, as I alluded to before, just the nature of the clinical setting? And I suppose what they call uh, the white coat effect, where, you know, people get nervous, they they don't really want to uh, give up as much about themselves as they might um, for fear of, I, I don't know, maybe outing a particularly unhealthy part of their lifestyle or something like that. Do you find that that interaction between the patient and the doctor can be problematic? Um, Actually, no, is the honest answer. People are generally candid with their doctors. There's nothing more important than our healthcare. So that's not the problem. The problem is a technical one, that data is stored in separate silos, in in, um, separate systems, in different formats, in different standards. So bringing that together and getting an, a, a holistic view, that's the real challenge for today. And when we're looking at sort of data held in different formats in different places, that must present a tremendous problem for data scientists to identify not only sort of which places are, are relevant, but which formats are even recoverable. 
that's that's so true. Um, incomplete and inconsistent data is ubiquitous. It's everywhere. Um, there is some evidence to suggest that data scientists spend as little as one fifth of their time actually analysing the data. And the rest of their time is spent tracking down data, bringing it together, merging it, cleaning it, reorganising it. So that is a big problem for, for data scientists, not just in healthcare, but in other sectors as well. Brings in sort of a particular bugbear of mine is the the need for something of a gold standard when it comes to data for its you know assembly and deciding whether it's it's in a usable form. Do you think this is something that data scientists get hung up on, sort of finding or identifying the quality of usable data to go? Okay, not only is the format good, but the quality of what we have is sufficient to work with. Yeah, it it absolutely the problem. Um, Standards are becoming more and more important in healthcare. Um, we've got a number of standards, um, such as HL7, um, FHIR, etc. And it's, it's to be able to make sense of data and use it in different care settings, standards have a really, really important role to play. I guess uh, we've had a, a period of enforced digital transformation across pretty much every sector, but particularly in healthcare because of the because of the COVID pandemic. So, what sort of lessons have we picked up over the last few years? Because yeah, no, you, we've seen systems implemented at sort of a, a record pace that have actually seemed to have worked very well. Yeah, you're you're so right. Um, you know, COVID did light a fire under the digital transformation of healthcare. Um, you know, I see it myself. I, I, I have had Zoom calls with my GP. The prescription has gone um, instantly to the pharmacist. It was really so much more convenient for me. And I think as people get more comfortable with that type of remote monitoring, and reward management of conditions. I think we'll, we'll see much more of that. And, um, you know, in fairness to the HSE, they've really stepped up to the mark. They simplified their procurement processes. They made it um, uh, possible to get systems implemented really quickly. Um, they did an absolutely fantastic job. Um, similarly, the regulators, um, so the FDA, for example, um, allowed what's known as emergency use authorization. So they fast-tracked the time it takes to bring new diagnostic techniques, new treatments to market, um, which really was a was a, a, a game changer. So I guess overall, the risk balance has changed. Um, doing nothing was no longer um, um, an option. So the balance between not deploying something and the deployment risks were very carefully um, weighed up and considered. So I think, given the experience we've had during COVID, I think we'll see much more remote monitoring, much more continuing to move in, in that direction in the future. And, you know, it, it really did set, set a standard, uh, as you said there, for what can be achieved. Um, however, 
because we're under a fairly strict uh, data protection uh, regime uh, here in Europe, and we're very concerned with uh, how European citizens' data is treated overseas, do you think there is that risk of, okay, we did X and we got this excellent result out of it, maybe we should extend what are effectively emergency measures uh, for purposes of study um, bef- without maybe realising that, okay, it's it's time to rein in these powers that we've had. It's time to maybe look at smaller problems maybe than we, we were dealing with at the outset of the pandemic. So do you see any changes or, or perhaps flexibility when it comes to that data protection standard? Um, I think I think there's a number of, of interesting themes in that question. Now you're absolutely right. Data protection has got to be paramount. It's essential that we understand and address GDPR concerns, such as who owns the patient data, does the patient have the right to opt out, etc. So really careful consideration needs to be given to data management and consent uh, principles. But the the bigger problem that every country in the world is facing is that healthcare spending is exceeding GDP growth. Um, People are living longer. So um, in Ireland, life expectancy has increased by two and a half years over the past 15 years. So we're living longer. The disease burden has changed. Instead of dying from diseases like heart attacks and cancer, we're living with chronic conditions that need ongoing and active management. So the the healthcare to become affordable and to become um, sustainable needs to look at new delivery models, needs to look and explore how it can take advantage of technology, technological advances. The most expensive place to treat a patient is in an acute hospital. It is so much more um, affordable and safe for the patient to be treated at home using remote monitoring techniques. And I think notwithstanding the Uh, uh, GDPR concerns that need to be considered. I think that's the way uh, healthcare will move in the future. So in looking at these um, sort of problems that we've raised, one thing that has been part of the zeitgeist for the last 20 years or so is the idea of the citizen scientist. Do you think this will become part of just the the normal way of conducting research in future, where if you are dealing with a chronic illness, if you are receiving um, treatment for a chronic illness, that it will be just a matter of having a a checkbox that, you know, yeah, I'm quite happy to have the the log of my treatment uh, included in the study. And And the development of these sort of large corpuses out there that even though maybe not information submitted for a specific study, but data that can be interrogated for questions that maybe we haven't even thought of yet. I think it'll go it'll go um, um, much further than that, actually. Um, so we, we know technology is advancing at, at a rapid rate. Um, you know, we've, we've got cloud computing, connected devising, 
mobile technology and, and so forth. Um, so I think there will be a move to monitor uh, patients remotely so the doctor can see whether the patient is following the recommended treatment and if that treatment is being effective. And, um, you know, in many, many uh, disease areas, that's possible already. So we're not bringing people into an acute hospital to do that, but we're leveraging the technology to remotely um, um, monitor them and to keep them healthy in the community. So that corpus really does extend not not just to sort of the the clinical meeting, but to the the day to day looking at things like compliance. Yeah, looking looking at their 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 treatment plans, whether they are adhering to the recommended treatment and if that treatment is is um, being effective. I mean, we're also seeing a blurring between consumer wellness devices and um, um, traditional medical devices. So, the, um, for instance, the Apple Watch for the past number of years can identify atrial fibrillation, which is one of the causes of stroke and heart attack. Um, so, in the future, with similar devices, remote management of patients becomes much, much more possible. Sort of as a, a, a final observation, what technologies are interesting you at the moment, John? Because you're seeing this natural resource in, in data being accumulated at, at a fantastic rate. What applications do you see for it that you're thinking, okay, maybe you know, five years time, this is going to be ubiquitous? Yeah, I think I think uh, yeah, there there there's a, a number of interesting technological advances. I mentioned cloud. I mentioned miniaturization. Um, 5G, I think, certainly will be a game changer for um, remote diagnosis. Um, It will allow large volumes of data to be analyzed instantly um, and AI will will be applied. I think AI um, is a very interesting area. And as the data quality improves, as consumer trust um, um, is grows, um, then I think AI will become much more reliable. We're likely to see a virtuous circle in that the more AI is used to diagnose uh, conditions, um, the better and more reliable it will become as it gets more practice. So I think that certainly is something um, um, that will be much more uh, common in the future. Gartner has said that what they call an enterprise data fabric will be the future of data management. And what an enterprise data fabric is, is a new architectural approach that um, ingests, harmonizes and transforms data from multiple different sources, multiple different silos on demand. So instead of ripping and replacing your legacy applications, you can put a layer on top that will bring the data together and allow you to do something with it. Now, we've taken that one step further. Um, 
we've developed what we call a smart data fabric. And this embeds analytics capability. So once you've brought the data together in real time from all your different sources, you can have, you can embed various analytics capabilities, data exploration, um, business intelligence, natural language processing, machine learning, and so on. So you can really harness and leverage your data assets in that way. So I think that is going to be the solution to the the problem of inconsistent and incomplete data. And that was John Kelly from Intersystems. And if you'd like to find out more about what they do, uh, check out their website, intersystems.com. That URL, of course, in the show notes of whatever player you're listening to us on right now. That's it for our show this week. Do remember you can get the lowdown on all things tech in Ireland with hourly updates, daily newsletters and more at our website, techcentral.ie. And of course, you can listen to us each week online or Fridays with RTE Radio 1 Extra. Until next time, from myself, Dusty Rhodes and from Niall Kitts, thanks for listening. Have a great weekend. Get Tech Radio. Subscribe for free with iTunes or download on demand at techcentral.ie. Tech Radio is produced by digitalaudioproductions.com. Tech Central.